0: You're listening to The Guardians of Sleep, a podcast produced by the Museum of Dreams. My name is Sharon Slabinski. In this first season, we partnered with the Museum of London to find out how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the dream life of people living in the British capital. Well, I'm sorry to say it, but this is going to be our last episode in the inaugural season of the Guardians of Sleep. And don't worry, the podcast will continue. And in fact, we already have a great lineup for season two. But this will be our last episode on COVID dreams. Now, the pandemic isn't over, of course, but it's been more than two years since it began and more than a year since we started speaking to Londoners about how this global event affected their dream life. For most of the season, we've been focused on one dreamer at a time. The idea was to present a series of portraits of a few of the individuals that we spoke to. Now this last episode's gonna be a bit different. This isn't exactly an aggregated account of the data that we collected. I mean, dreams are not like other kinds of data, are they? Instead, our goal was to create a kind of collective snapshot, a composite portrait, based on what we've learned from listening to Londoners over the past two years. I'm obviously biased, but I can't help but think of COVID as a kind of worldwide dreaming event. For a while there, social media was full of reports of bizarre and vivid dreams, many of which concerned with the experience of the pandemic. For a minute, the whole world seemed to be dreaming about the same thing. The people we spoke to all reported that their dream life had been profoundly affected by the pandemic. Now people were impacted in really different ways, of course, but everyone described a significant shift. It might seem obvious to point this out, but the pandemic provided irrefutable evidence that our dream life is radically susceptible to what's happening in the outside world. This touches on one of the big questions that we were thinking about throughout the project. Exactly how the dramas of external reality impact the quality of our inner life. I mean, how much of mental life is shaped by social reality? Here's how Janet, a 65-year-old translator, described this dynamic.
1: I flatter myself that I know when a dream is significant. And these are significant dreams. I'm able to think about them, remember them, write them down. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have all been around times when the pandemic in this country in the UK at least has reached a particular point or something particular is happening it's not just the grind of day-to-day it's when there's a new government announcement or things are going you know sort of taking a turn for the worse or when we have been um, locked down
0: It was fairly clear to most of the people that we spoke to that whatever was happening in their dream life was in direct dialogue with what was happening in their daily life. And the most often repeated word that we heard was vivid. Many people, I mean almost all of them, expressed the sense of a heightened vibrancy, a kind of technicolor quality to their dream life in COVID times.
1: When the pandemic first started, so going back to March 2020, um, it became extremely vivid. I've always been quite a vivid dreamer, um, but I'd say that I'm getting more vivid dreams during lockdown. So for whatever reason, my dreams have just been a lot more vivid, not, not necessarily more, more stressful or no more nightmares than usual, um, but just a lot more vivid. Um, but I would say over the past year, I've had quite vivid recollections in the morning mm. and just some kind of wild dreams. But since since COVID and this last year of um, being locked in, they've got more vivid and more intense um, as the year has gone on.
0: Having more vivid dreams, I guess. I would yes, definitely say they've been more vivid and and weird. As many neurologists have reported, the pandemic brought on a widespread increase in sleep disturbances. Insomnia, oh hypersomnia, night terrors, a whole clutch of disorders that they collectively termed COVID-somnia. Here's Katie, a schoolteacher who describes this very condition.
1: I have really stressful dreams at the moment, so I, they wake me up a lot. Um, and I find like the amount of times I'll sort of wake up in the middle of the night with my heart racing because of some stressful thing that's happened in a dream um, is much more regular. Like, that used to be something that would happen occasionally.
0: It's not hard to understand why our dream life would be affected during this time. As the Italian doctor and psychoanalyst Giuseppe civitarisi put it, dreams are the most precise sensors we have to help us intuit what is happening. They're like powerful microscopes designed to process our most subtle emotions into images. As the pandemic unfolded, there was no shortage of information being broadcast through the media, but there was a shortage of understanding about what it all meant, let alone how or indeed when it would all come to an end. Dreams proved to be an important way of reckoning with this uncertainty. At a time when there isn't yet a common or a collective way to describe what's happening, dreams are a place where we make sense for ourselves. It's like the ground zero of meaning. the most remarkable things that we discovered in our conversations was that people were returning to some of their earliest memories in their dreams. The past seemed to come back in a big way during the pandemic. But it was hard to tell whether this was a strategy for coping with the unknown, returning to some earlier time, or whether the various lockdowns just provided time and space to reflect on these important experiences from earlier days. I, I've dreamt a lot
1: about things that happened when I was really young, like, you know, maybe a house that I was living at when I was growing up in Birmingham. I feel like at times, I've been kind of recycling old memories. I think in absence of stimulus, we used to have such, especially living in London, such massive stimulus every day. Our lives have just got smaller and smaller and smaller. So I feel like we are mining, or I certainly am mining, my memories in a way that I haven't mined them for years, both when I'm awake and also when I'm asleep. Maybe there's something about kind of unexpected people kind of popping up into dreams, that maybe there's something about unresolved kind of relationships from the past.
0: One of the most striking examples that we heard about this mining of old memories came from Shelley Ward. When we spoke to her, Shelley was nearing 60 years old and living in the northwest of London. She contracted COVID early on, like really early on, at the end of March 2020. She was severely ill for weeks, and as soon as she started to recover, she describes having really bizarre dreams, what she called acid trips, at night. In one of these bizarre dreams Shelley remembers that she was observing her mother and her aunt from a distance they were in a supermarket setting and she remembers that in the front of the supermarket there was a coffee bar in the dream her mom looked really really young as did her aunt and Shelley was sitting up high looking out over a silver bar a metal bar that was stretched across her view that was it It that was all the dream was and when she woke up though it was so vivid that she just felt like she couldn't help but call her mum, who was now in her 80s. So I got in touch with my mum and I
1: told her about the dream. And she told me that it was true. There was a supermarket where we lived in Finchley, which is North London. Uh, it did have a coffee bar in the front. She did used to go with my aunt, the aunt in my dream, to the coffee bar. And... um they would leave me outside in my pram, because mm. I was a baby, and in those days you could leave babies in prams outside yeah. supermarkets. <laughs> uh, in 1962, I think it would have been. And um, my pram had, a, had silver handlebars and it, it just stood out in, so much in my mind. And I'm, I still, even now I can see the images flashing past like in a film and also I was staggered that something I've got very good memory and I would say I've got almost like a photographic memory but I I would never have remembered that but it did really hit me that somewhere in the depths of my memory are things that I don't even know
0: that I know. I just love what Shelley says here somewhere in the depths of our memory are things we don't even know that we know And what seems especially amazing to me about Shelley's story is that it provides evidence for the way that dreams are a medium through which we can access these unknown knowns. Part of how we process what's happening in our day to day involves returning to our earliest memories, using them as guides for making sense of what is uncertain in the present. And this isn't surprising, given that the first five years of life is when our brains develop the most connections and faster than at any other time in life. This is a foundational period for the human personality. And dreams seem to be one way to revisit these foundational experiences. We heard a lot about how the pandemic seemed to be figured in dreams as a kind of mysterious threat. One of our dreamers, Eve, described several dreams in which she felt a really scary presence, as she said. Sometimes it felt like a vampire or a ghost. Nothing was actually happening in the dream, but she just knew something bad was going to happen.
1: The weirdest one I've had, it was like a a really old estate really grand house and all I could feel was this really scary presence and in my mind I thought
0: of a vampire. Katie the school teacher dreamt about people breaking into her flat and throwing a huge party which in the dream made her anxious about catching the virus. The virus actually appeared in the dream. She told us that the nightmare was so disturbing it woke her up in the middle of the night and when she finally fell back asleep she dreamt another version of the same dream
1: sort of a similar scenario except for instead of people breaking in it was wolves so then there were wolves running up and down the balcony and we had to try and stop these wolves from getting in our flat which we succeeded by closing the doors um but then unfortunately we left the the front door open and the wolves got in by the staircase instead and the wolves came into our flat um and then I woke up again so there was you know no chance for the wolves to accord be chaos but it's clearly something there around feeling under attack or not safe perhaps in our own home
0: Wolves are a familiar image of something scary or threatening. I mean, I can still remember being a child and going to a performance of Peter and the Wolf, that symphonic fairy tale by Sergei Prokofiev, and being, I mean, terrified by the wolf's theme. I can still remember it in my head. It's, it, the, the theme is voiced by French horns, and it's so sinister and scary. When faced with something new and threatening, we often turn to these images and the ideas from our shared cultural memory. Our visual vocabularies are vast in this respect, and this repertoire is continuously repopulated from images that we consume on a daily basis. Quite a few footballers and movie stars turned up in our dreamers' nightlife. Maradona, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Olivia Coleman all made appearances. And indeed, many people we spoke to dreamt of cinematic landscapes that they felt were directly influenced by the movies that they were watching. Warlike settings were pretty common. One person described an apocalyptic plague that seemed straight out of a science fiction film.
1: I've had dreams about, of, of birds being killed by a plague. Beautiful birds that are dying off because they're catching a virus. And they were fantastic colors and they were along rivers They were just falling out of the sky and falling over where they were and being extinguished. And also one that was probably more kind of immediately anxious about animals trying to get into the house in order to be fed. And I was trying to feed them, but also prevent them coming into the house because I knew they carried a virus and they would potentially infect us.
0: The creativity of these dreamscapes never ceases to amaze me the adeptness with which we unconsciously find ways to represent what we're thinking and feeling. Dreaming has a big role to play in our resilience in this respect. The French psychologist Boris Srilnik defines resilience as the ability to recover from a crisis or a trauma, or as Srilnik would say, our ability to renew ourselves, to become something new after trauma. Psychologically speaking, this Transformation of wounding experiences requires a theater, a mental space in which our emotions can be expressed. Representing, or more literally, representing what's happened to us and our feelings and thoughts in our minds provides a space to rework our emotions. Dreams are one of the most primal spaces where this transformative work occurs. We use this internal theater to represent daily events our thoughts, our feelings, as a way to process what's happening. Okay, I can admit it, I was actually a little wary of taking on this project when the Museum of London first approached me to help them collect COVID dreams. There is a very long and ugly history of collecting dreams that's part of the violence of colonialism. And in fact, we're planning to explore some of this history in season two. But in light of this, our team talked a lot and decided not to interpret any of the dream reports that we collected for the museum, but we decided to focus on the acoustic question or the acousmatic question, which is to say, we were focused on what it meant for a speaker to share a dream with a stranger, as well as the nature of what it meant to listen to this unusual form of testimony. One of the questions that we asked people was about how it felt to speak about their dream life. Here's Hang, who was born in Birmingham, but who moved to London a few years ago. She's speaking here about how it felt to share her dreams, both with us, but also with her friends.
1: I mean, I do feel like talking about a dream is kind of like opening yourself up kind of being vulnerable especially if the dream was not that great a nightmare or something like that and also so many other people are going to interpret it in their own personal ways too so it's kind of like it starts to feel like you know a fable or something like a like a like a fairy tale in a way
0: Maggie Hum, a retired professor from the University of East London, also spoke with us. And she expressed the uniqueness of what it felt like to be heard in this particular way.
1: No one talks about their dreams because dreams most people find them very boring to, talk, to listen to other people's dreams. So this is quite special today for me, thank yeah. you, because I never, never talk about them. Well, well, of course I say, oh, I had this dream last night. And then you can see, you know, whoever you're talking to is trying to be nice. And they're trying to listen. They're not really. They're really bored. Uh, So this is, you know, actually very nice to talk about
0: the truth. What Maggie says here kind of encapsulates for me one of the most important things we learned from this project, the special nature of this kind of conversation. The psychologist Theodore Reich described this as a matter of listening with the third ear, by which he meant to describe a unique kind of communication that goes on between all human beings but which, of course, is of special interest to psychologists. This is the economy of inner life, that unconscious form of communication. Our dreamers shared their dream life with us by conveying it in words. But these words, of course, were already a translation of the event of the dream, which happened while they were asleep. The dreamers also conveyed their experience through their eyes, their gestures, through the inflection of their voices, their intonation, and so on. Theodore Reich suggests that to really grasp the transmission of inner life, the listener has to turn part of their attention inward. Now this seems a little counterintuitive. You listen for what people are saying and what they're not saying, but really you're listening for what they're thinking and feeling. And the best way to grasp this, for Reich anyway, is for the listener to turn their attention inward, like into themselves, and to notice what's being animated within the self, In the listening experience. This is one of the most important things I think that we learned during this whole project. Listening to these dreamers really deepened our understanding of the vibrancy and the vitality of inner life, but also the intimate complexity of what it means to try to convey this inner life. Well we've tried to convey some of this through the podcast we fashioned each episode so that you too got a chance to experience a little bit about what it means to listen with your third ear. Well this brings our first season to a close. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. It was so much fun to listen to Londoners share their dream life with us. The whole experience made me feel like writing a love letter to the city. I know that sounds a little silly, but listening to our dreamers talk about their experience of the pandemic, like really attuning to them by listening to their dream life, it did feel a bit like falling in love. I hope that's how it felt to you too. Huge thanks to our amazing interview team, Sasha Bergstrom Katz, Catherine Fry, Amber Jacobs, Lara Jonu, Rebecca Greenslade, Sharon Tugwell, and Chris van der Vies. My gratitude also goes out to Fotini Arvani, my wonderful partner at the Museum of London. And of course, as always, big props to our amazing production team, Aaron McIndoe-Sprohl and Andrew Braun. Hopefully you'll join us for season two. We're going to continue to explore the significance of dream life. Keep well until then, and thank you for listening.